0: It's Revolution Recap, a weekly review of the New England Revolution and Major League Soccer on WARL 1320 The Drive with your host,
1: Sean Donahue. Welcome to Revolution Recap for every Sunday from 7 to 8 p.m. We're doing the latest action of the New England Revolution and Major League Soccer right here on AM 1320 The Drive as well as over the internet at revolutionrecap.com. Joining me now over the phone is uh, Jim Dow from revsnet.com. Jim, can you hear me?
2: I can indeed.
1: Uh, Obviously, very exciting game with the Revs winning 1-0. Uh, in advancing to the MLS Cup final uh, with the Eastern Conference Championship uh, last year, it was the exact same situation except they were at home. A Fourth minute goal saw them through again. A fourth minute goal saw them through. Uh, what is it about this team that makes them so great come playoff time?
2: Well, I I don't know. I mean, I I think it's, it's partially just their ability to to apply themselves to the to the job at hand. Um, you know, it it's interesting if you if you read some of the newspaper articles and, and fan comments from Washington from D C um before in the in the run up to this game and in the past two or three weeks, all the things that people accuse Steve Nichol of, uh you know, uh people were accusing uh, uh Peter Nowak of. But the fact is that Steve Nichol has again and again and again uh, figured out how with these small squads and this long, long season, I mean, we're in almost our 40th game now if you, if you count friendlies and, and stuff like that, to, uh, to keep a team together and to, to have it play on a, uh, you know, a plan. Uh, in other words, that, uh, if he brings in the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th, 16th person, those people are still playing on that same, same plan. And although we certainly saw tonight that, uh, you know, against a team as good as DC, that if the Revolution don't have all their guns uh, offensively, that they can't really maintain possession, that they have to play a different kind of game. They played that game to perfection, and even though DC buzzed around and got all kinds of corner kicks and so forth and so on, uh, you know, the truth is they only had about two really really good opportunities, and in both of those, of course, Matt Reese snuffed them out. The wonderful shot by Freddie Adu and the diving save at, uh, uh, in front of Ben Olsen.
1: Well that's another good point. Uh the team has lost some of their key players for these two playoff games. The game against Chicago, they were without Shari Joseph and Clint Dempsey. Today they were out without Steve Rawlson and Clint Dempsey. Uh it's amazing that they are able to fill those gaps. Uh in such crucial games against a team like D C that was a supporter shield winner. And they may have been struggling lately, but I think we saw today what what they are capable of. And, you know, a few a few inches to the other side and maybe they could have had a couple goals there.
2: Well I thought that I thought that Nowak uh some of his substitutions were a little bit strange. I mean, it certainly seemed that D.C., you know, certainly if you were watching the game, say, in the 20th minute or so, it seemed inevitable that D.C. would get at least one goal before uh, before the 90th minute, maybe two or three, but they didn't, and and he kept pulling players off. Um, of course, at this stage of the season, uh, and the same is true with the Revolution, you really don't know who's hurt and who, who's not. I'm absolutely convinced that part of the reason that the Revolution didn't give a better offensive show for themselves, or offensive display of themselves, is that a lot of the players are playing within themselves um, because they're carrying injuries. Um, this is no longer a young team. Uh, you've got, I think, five players, or six in, in some cases, depending on who you start, that are 30 years old or over. And so these guys are carrying... And a lot of these guys are carrying knocks. Certainly Joe Francino was carrying a knock. Uh, obviously uh, Steve Ralston was carrying a knock. He didn't play. Daniel Hernandez uh, and so forth and so on. And so Noonan, uh, Twellman. Uh, so, you know, the question, the question is how, how much of the... In the game were, the, were they able to, to both attack and defend? And I think once they got that first goal, they made the decision to defend.
1: I, I think they also... Uh, the credit to Steve Nickel on this one, when the 4-4-2 wasn't really working, they switched back to a 3-5-2, and I think that kind of changed the game, whereas when well, they weren't getting the possession uh, for a while there, after the goal really it was all D.C. for 20 minutes there, uh, the Revs, w- with the change to the 3-5-2, started getting the possession back, so I think that was a very smart move by Steve Nickel.
2: Absolutely, although, strangely enough, the probably the, the, the prettiest game of the season um, was the 4-4-2 game that they played uh, down in D.C. where they won 2-1. Uh, Where both teams just went up and down the field and up and down the field, and of course one of the big uh, elements that was missing from uh, from today that was uh, was was there for that game was uh, Steve Ralston, and Steve the the interchange that Ralston and um, Dorman had uh, going uh, from Ralston playing in the back and Dorman playing in the middle, uh, you know they of course couldn't do that tonight because they just didn't have he wasn't there.
1: Oh, absolutely, and you know another thing with talking about interchanges. Uh, how great is it to see Pat Noonan and Taylor Twelman playing together? They seem to have such an understanding of where each other uh, are going to be at the field at all times.
2: Well, I completely agree with you, but I would caution Rev fans in one thing, because we criticize this team a lot. Do you remember three years ago when people said, there's no way that Twelman and Noonan can play together? We've got to trade one of them. They're just incompatible. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> of course, they probably are. You know, in terms of the way that they know each other, they're probably the best partnership in the league.
1: Oh, absolutely, and... Uh, seeing, especially with a guy like Clint Dempsey out, it's vital to have, you know, Pat Noonan in the lineup.
2: Yeah. He, uh, he's so smart. Um, uh, what was it Nichols said, uh, to one reporter, uh, this week where, you know, uh, he, he brought Pat in, uh, last week and he kept him in, uh, just knowing that, uh, that he's the kind of guy who can make all these little things happen that he can basically play on one leg. Uh, he's so smart and I think he did play on one leg. Uh, in the last, uh, 15 or 20 minutes, but boy, was he, uh, was he instrumental in holding the ball.
1: And with the subs, I was also talking about going back to Steve Nichol, uh, with the substitutions today, he brought in, obviously, Jeff Luntowitz was a four sub with Daniel Hernandez's injury, but, uh, he brought in Connell Smith for Joe Frantino the captain. And Frantino I thought, was having a fairly good game. Maybe not as, you know, certainly not as good as he played last week against Chicago, but that seems to be a sub that Steve Nichol has kind of, uh, evolved to make in just about every game bringing on Connell Smith. And for me in this game, I thought, oh, this is a sub that's not really going to work because this isn't really going to suit Connor Smith's style. As far as the refs need to keep possession, and you know he's a guy that always is bombing forward, trying to attack, and maybe not going to play the safe pass and rather go after something that's not going to, you know, maybe necessarily win. But I thought he did an excellent job tonight, and as far as you know, putting life back in the team.
2: Well, remember that that DC is a is a is a big field. It's uh it's a standard size. Uh Soccer field. You know, some of these fields in MLS, especially the ones that are in the football stadiums like ours, are small. Uh, when you have a regular size field, a player like Smith has an enormous advantage because all he really has to do is tap the ball around uh, the first guy, and there's so much room he doesn't have to make it really accurate. He just has to touch it and uh, and go chase it. Whereas uh, on our field and some of the other small fields, uh, he's he's restricted, especially if he's playing out you know out in the wing, which he does. So I think this uh given the situation and, and 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 the field and so forth it was a very good substitution. The other thing is, is Francino although I'm sure you would never get him to admit it had to be playing hurt. I mean he was he was taped up last week and when I went down to practice in the middle of the week he was uh you know still looking like he was uh, taped up. So, uh, you know, and again, he's one of the older players. He's, he's 31, I think, or 30 or 31. So, you know, carrying, uh, carrying that, kind of, uh, that kind of injury and, and playing on a field like this and a space like this against a team that, that really does press, um, I think it was probably a wise substitution and also an indication of how much uh,
1: Nickel trusts Smith. And another thing with the game was a couple of players came into it carrying a yellow card watch. Uh, particularly, Shari Joseph, yes. who was a player that uh, I thought was a little almost kind of lucky to have avoided a yellow card in that game. But how how key is it that those players managed to get out of it without the yellow?
2: Oh my God! I mean, the idea that we would go to the final with a couple of players out on yellow cards is just it would be just too hard to take. I mean, it would be just one more example of uh, you know it seems like the stars are always against us, but you know the stars in this case were with us. Um, i think it is um you know a lot of people will say we got outplayed today uh and we're lucky to win i don't think that's true at all i think it's just a, a demonstration of 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 the way that soccer goes you know you you get uh 20 30 40 percent of the possession but you make that that goal when you have to and and you defend when you have to and and you deservedly win and i think they absolutely deserved the the win that they got today
1: oh, i agree 100 percent and uh, I also thought the refereeing was a great job done. Nothing to be blamed on that. I thought uh, Kevin Stott did a good job of, you know, recognizing the situation and maybe not being uh, quick to his pocket. And you know, ne- the game really never really got out of his ha- out of his hands in that sense. Uh, and I, I, th- I just wanted to give accolades to the refereeing in this situation. Certainly, uh, I complained about the refs a lot, but I thought it was a great job tonight.
2: Yeah, and in fact, uh, on the diagrams uh, on television of the uh, offsides, uh, they were very, very good calls against uh, against both teams. Uh, and yes, I agree. I thought the refereeing was really, uh, was really good. Stott's a good referee, uh, and, uh, and it is, you know, uh, I think there were, DC is, is a tough team, but I don't think they have quite the hothead quotient that, say, uh, Chicago does. And so they don't wind each other up. You know, there's the whole Escondarian Reese business, but, but basically the teams, uh, Play hard against each other, and I don't think they really like each other. But they don't wind each other up in the same way that the uh, Chicago and the Revs do. So I think that that uh, this was probably an easier game to control, and also the DC DC play DC lives and dies by playing flowing football. So um, you know, especially because they had to play catch up for ninety six minutes, or excuse me, eighty six minutes, that uh, they were going to be chasing the game rather than kicking the revolution. It might might have been different uh, had uh, had the game been one 0 DC.
1: And uh, another thing is with the the revs lineup, they've had to be changing it so many times. I believe they said during the broadcast this was their twenty six different starting lineup this year. Uh, certainly that may, must make it hard for a team to have the cohesion. But uh, I think we saw against Chicago that that certainly wasn't the case. Where, with the changes they had to make uh, today, maybe they weren't doing as great a job keeping possession. But uh, how does a team like that manage to you know show? So, it's so a great composure against a team like D.C. that really has been very unchanged throughout much much, much of the year.
2: Well, remember that in most countries in the world, particularly um, in the in the European leagues, um, the same 11 players don't play every week. Uh, you play what's called the squad strategy. That's one of the things that, that Marino does in, in, in Chelsea. Uh, you know, you play... Uh, you rotate players based on uh, all sorts of things matchups injuries uh cards so forth and so on so that the the top 15 or even more 16 or 17 players on any team uh, are expecting to play and i think that's what's happening with this team um nickel on the one hand would probably play the same 11 guys if he could every week but he can't but by this, you know because of all the circumstances and so I think what we've what we've uh, developed into is is a squad as opposed to uh, you know a first eleven and and uh, who comes in afterwards. I mean, look at James Riley. Uh, you know, uh, James. I didn't even realize James Riley was was uh, was going to be able to play. I thought he was still hurt. Uh, and when I went to practice, uh, I think it was on Tuesday. I I don't even know if I saw him. I saw Marshall Leonard practicing, but not James Riley. So, uh, you know, these guys, I think, have, have gotten used to the idea, partially by circumstance and partially by design, that they're, that they're expected to play and they're expected to go out and they're expected to produce.
1: I think that's another thing that's going to end up hurting the Rose maybe a little bit come time for the expansion draft to have all these players that have experience and not being able to protect them all.
2: Well, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm wondering. Uh, I guess the expansion draft is on the 17th or something yeah, like that. Quite. quite and soon. the transfer window is not until the... Um, until January um, presumably uh, they have a very clear idea of who's, who's going to stay and who's going to go so it may be I mean I don't even want to talk about this but we've got to talk about it uh, it may be they they, well, they certainly wouldn't protect Dempsey and they might not protect Joseph
1: well I, we should hope they could be able to contain a guy like keep a guy like Joseph but that does come down to a question uh, is it worth protecting them but at the same time uh, sh- <laughs> should Toronto take a gamble on Dempsey then he goes and uh, the Revs don't get the allocation for him.
2: Well, I think, I think that, uh, you know, Dempsey will not be protected for sure. And, and I would, I would think that probably, uh, given, you know, one of the really good things, one of the great advantages we, we have with the coaches that, that we do is that uh, they play the game at the highest level and, and they know about being ambitious. And so I don't think, uh, the coaching staff or, uh, anyone involved, uh, with the team um holds it against somebody if they want to try and go on uh, and play uh you know play in Europe. So I think that that there probably will be some communication that will take place before the draft. Well, and uh, and we'll see what happens.
1: Certainly a lot of the players getting green cards helps uh their decisions as far as not having to protect everyone. But what about a guy like Abunda? So they're going to have to are they going to be able to release him before this or are they going to want to release him before this because uh, I believe according to the rules they'd have to protect him.
2: Yeah, they probably would have to protect him, but, 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 you know, again, uh, we don't know what, we don't know what the situation is going to be next year. Um, uh, Abundus' value to this team, um, Avery John said to me this week, you know, I asked him straight out about, um, you know, players getting used to each other, and he said, he, he used Abundus as an example. He said, well, if that guy had come to us in, in training camp, it would be a whole different story. You know, cause, cause so much of what he does is, uh, our little, uh, off the ball maneuvers and things that 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 uh, he needs to be on the same page in the same way that say Noonan and Twellman are on the same page. So uh, you know then then you start to uh, you completely depend on on the ability of your coaching staff uh, and manager and so forth to to, to weigh uh, the quality of players. So that's something that uh, you know I think that uh, that um, Nickel and Mariner have proven themselves now that they're very good judges of talent. Um, of course, they don't have the ability to go and buy, uh, you know, everybody that they want. But when when they're faced with looking at somebody and trying to figure out if they can contribute, they do a pretty good job of evaluating that.
1: And uh, another player to mention is uh, recently talked about in a Globe article, about Jose Cancela, uh Certainly, the fourth highest paid player on the team, he's not seeing the minutes that you would hope would, you know, th- that would come with that kind of pay. But uh, do you think he's going to play a role in this team next year, or will he be one of the players that uh, won't be around?
2: I really wonder um if I was Cancela, um, you know all reports say he's pretty happy here uh in terms of his living situation his family and stuff um, so I really I really wonder but but if I were Cancela, he he he's not a kid anymore I think he'll be 29 um, so I would I would presume that he's going to want to maximize his his uh his income uh and if he doesn't get the uh you know the the offer for the highest salary or you uh you know or whatever it might be. I would think he'd want to move on so that he can uh he can play more, but by the same token um you know you have to think about li- like when he came in last week and when he came in the week before you know how much is that worth isn't that is 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 what he brings to the table when he uh nails down games like that or puts in the kind of effort that he does in some cases. Uh, is he not worth being the fourth highest player on the team? Because he, he brings something that, that, that the other players don't have. Um, you know, and this again is where, uh, person management really comes in and, and Nickel and Mariner and Mike Burns and all those people have to make decisions about, you know, how these, how these people fit together. I think they know, obviously they're going to lose Dempsey. Maybe they're going to lose Joseph. Maybe, 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 maybe they're going to lose Twelman. But they have to think about all of those things and how those pieces of the puzzle fit together because they still have a pretty, pretty strong talent base. And of course, if any one of those guys goes, um, they're going to have, uh, you know, the allocations or the draft choices or whatever to, to replace them.
1: Well, you mentioned, uh, Cancelo's role as a substitute and coming in and, you know, kind of keeping possession and tying on the game. But, uh, <laughs> we didn't see him tonight in this situation where they had a 1-0 lead going in late and a lot of tired legs and they had another sub they could have used. I think. I
2: think uh, again. Uh, it was a question of the size of the field and uh, and the players that uh, that were on. And I think once Smith was on, then then the question is: Do you, do, do you bring two players in, who are not uh, particularly good defensive players? And that would have meant of the, uh, of the ten guys, the ten outfield guys, there'd be two players who might be seen as defensive liabilities. Uh, you know, Twelman is Twelman and Noonan uh, both. Are extraordinarily good defensive players for forwards, but I st- it still means that if 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 you've got a couple of players who aren't really uh, good at closing other players down uh, in a situation like that, uh, playing against a team like DC with uh, you know 20 minutes left, 25 minutes left, I think it would have been a big gamble at that point to bring in bring in Pepe. I think on the other hand, if 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 he hadn't brought in Smith, I think we would have seen Pepe uh, pretty quickly.
1: Well, at the same time, uh, we were all surprised to see that Noonan ended up going the full 90 after, you know, last week clearly, clearly wasn't fit to go as long as he did, even coming in as a sub, but also having to go into overtime. Uh, we would all surprised to see him come into this game and go the f- complete game.
2: Well, Winaldo was remarking that, uh, I think it was about the, uh, 60th minute that he thought Noonan was walking. Um, and the camera zoomed in on him, and, and you did see him, uh, you know, not trot back, but, but literally, just start walking back up the field, um, and so he was clearly really uh, husbanding his strength. But again, uh, Nickel, Nickel himself said last week that's exactly what the kind of things that Noonan does. I mean, it may to uh, the fan in the stands look like he's uh, dogging it a little bit, but actually, he's just uh, he's just getting his breath back and, and saving his legs. And you know, literally three or four minutes later, he chased some guy down and took the ball away.
1: And uh, changing the topic a little bit, uh, as we speak, the game is going on with uh, Colorado against Houston to decide who else is going to make it into the MLS Cup Final. Uh, who do you think matches up better against the Revs?
2: Well, I don't know. Uh, Houston is an awful athletic team, and um, they're, they're very, very strong. And again, we're going to be playing on a real field, uh, not one of these uh, things that's squeezed into a football stadium. So, uh you know, maybe, maybe they, they, they have a better, uh, a better shot against Colorado. But, but you know, um they don't, they haven't been doing too well against Colorado as I remember this season. So, uh, I, I think, I think it really doesn't matter. I think at this point, uh, the real issue for the Revs is how many of them are hurt, how many of them uh, will be available to play, how many of them will be carrying injuries that will affect their, uh, their ability to play both ways. And uh you know how how nickel will uh, will put these pieces together, um, and you know if there's the slightest possibility that we get Dempsey back, um, that's a tremendous, tremendous addition because clearly uh playing for the championship game uh last game that he'll probably play in this country uh, as a as a you know ref player as an MLS player, um I would think he'd want to do really well he's a competitive guy and and you know he i think he's He's not necessarily the uh, the poster boy of the team in terms of everybody uh, everybody thinking he's a great guy, but he is a, uh, a great great player, and I think he's going to want to go out on a real high note. Whoops! Uh, Houston just scored. It's one one. Who,
1: who has had the goal so far?
2: Uh, you know, I'm not sure. The TV set sort of at an angle, but Houston <laughs> just uh, Houston just scored. It looked like Brian Ching, but I'm not sure. Uh, and Colorado scores, so it's one one so you know what have they been playing for uh, fifteen minutes ten minutes oh no Paul Kenny delgleish's kid Paul delgleese scored
1: Wow well you mentioned Dempsey i I believe we've heard that he started training on uh, Thursday, so I think the signs might look promising that he could be back for them last cup and certainly for a game as big as that maybe even if you are still a little bit hurt you'd want to go out and play in it I think so I you know uh, he
2: got a lot of uh, he got a lot of stick. Um, you know, say, two months ago as, uh, oh, he's dogging it because he's waiting for his contract and stuff. And You know, the players of this level, they don't, that's not what they're thinking about. They're, they're so competitive. You, you put the ball in front of them and, and they just go. And, uh, you know, I think he uh, he's the kind of player that would really like to, to go out on a high note. And, um, and in fact, I think, uh, you know, the whole team uh, would like to go out on a high note because I, I think this team is going to change uh, next year. Um, partially because of player, a couple, maybe one or two players leaving, but also because of players getting older, and so I think we're going to see. This is kind of the last go around for this core group that's been here for uh, you know three or four years.
1: Well, I I, I can see, I understand maybe why people would have said that about Dempsey, but I, certainly any any talk of that would have been ended with the way he finished the season.
2: Yeah, and also the fact is, you know, the, the great qualities that Dempsey has are those very edgy qualities that. Uh, you know if the spotlight is just at a slightly different angle become deficiencies you know dempsey's the guy that you if if he was playing for another team that you'd love to hate he's he's got he's got attitude he's got swagger he's got tremendous skill um he's made he, he's he's made himself or been made you know on the coaching he's a much much better passer than he was he used to give the ball away with passes and stuff uh, fairly regularly and now he you know, there was a period, say, about six weeks ago where he was setting up as many players as he was scoring goals. So, um, you know, he's made himself into a much, much more complete player. And, uh, you know, I think everyone in the team understands that and everyone in the team knows that the team's better when he's there.
1: Yeah, certainly I agree with that. But uh, going back again to uh, the game tonight, uh, was, was it at all surprising to see that the Revs' only shot on goal was uh, their goal that... Uh, certainly with last season conference final, we uh, saw a 3-3 thriller. Were you surprised that there were no more goals in this one?
2: Well, you know, like you said at the beginning of the program, I think the, um, the, this year's uh, conference final and last year's fi- conference final were kind of bookends, similar goal, similar situations. They get a goal early. Um, last year it was a kind of a lucky free kick. Uh, this year it was, uh, just a gorgeous, gorgeous goal. Um, you know, the way Twelman scrambled back for that ball that was slightly behind him and, and just turned and torqued it into the net, that was just gorgeous. Um, and, and at that point, you know, it was still early, so you, we really had no sense of how the game was going to go in terms of the, the Revs' ability to build up and so forth. But D.C., it seemed to me then at that point, just turned it on, and, and there was no stopping them. Uh, and they are such a good team at, at, at possession. Um, that uh, the rev were, were really uh, not behind the eight ball because i don 't think they were, but they really were forced into playing a defensive a defensive style of game it wasn 't a game of you know going up and down and up and down uh, the way it was even uh, what was it uh, four weeks ago five weeks ago when they played in d c
1: and we talked about Twoman's struggles and scoring you know in the past uh, couple years 's been talk of that, but recently certainly there 's no more of that where he scored in the last game, now he scored in this game. Uh, but at the same time during the season, maybe he's kind of struggled a bit uh, as far as putting away the chances that we ha- would have seen him put away in the past. But what do you think has made this difference in the playoffs this year as far as, you know, him getting the goals?
2: Well, Paul Mariner, who was, uh, you know, a great, great goal scorer in England, I mean, he, he really was, uh, at, I think at one point he was voted uh, the best English uh, striker in the last 25 years, something like that um you know i asked mariner very pointedly what what do you do when you're a goal scorer and you don't score you know are there drills you can do or that this or there that do you go see a psychiatrist do you uh you know burn chickens or whatever and he said no the only thing that you can do is go back to what you do the best and just try and do it every single time just just uh you know if you're a shooter concentrate on your uh your form if you're uh Somebody who plays with the back to the goal and so forth concentrate on getting your position. You just have to go back to the very, very, very basics and just repeat it again and again and again and again. I think that 's what 's happening with Ralin, because if you look at the two goals that he got this week and last week, they were both world class goals. The ball, the ball he shot last week was you know between two guys legs, and it wasn 't that it dribbled between two guys legs. he shot it between two guys legs and the corner of the of the uh, of the goal. And the goal he got tonight was, uh, you know, just a gorgeous, just digging back for it and really getting into, into position and thumping it. So, you know, um, I think it's just a question of paying attention to the to the details. And also, I suspect, his hip feels a little better.
1: And looking forward to uh, <laughs> next year as far as uh, the talk of the new CONCACAF Champions League, yep. which would involve the Mexican teams and the MLS teams. There's been some talk this week. Uh, obviously, nothing's been confirmed yet, but some talk that, uh, as far as a team selection, it would be more invited teams and not based on merit, where maybe a team like Los Angeles or Us would go uh, just basically because uh, the population there, the Hispanic population there, they would expect bigger crowds. Uh, what are your thoughts on, you know, going... Would it, would it kind of, uh, you know, hurt the prestige of this tournament if they were to base selections not on merit?
2: Well, uh, there's all kinds of merit, and one of the merits, uh one of the things is that... Um, you know, it is a business. And if you're going to get uh, 45 or 50,000 people, say, in Houston or uh, in Los Angeles or maybe even in Colorado or certainly in Chicago uh, playing Mexican teams, then, you know, you have to consider that, that maybe that's a reasonable thing to do. Of course, it wouldn't be fair necessarily. The Revs, the revs are right now going to be the uh at best at worst the second best team in mls they're going to be uh you know the the number two team which means that they would qualify for the uh the other uh, Concacaf tournament if that's still if that's still run but um in terms of uh you know maybe the ball is in our court a little bit we have to uh to prove that uh that if uh say um chivas guadalajara or uh uh, Toluca or whoever comes up here that 25 or 30,000 people would turn out
1: well the other thing is we've seen in the past where as far as um, these big clubs from Europe coming over to play in uh, the free season tournaments here, a lot of that has been related to the ownership groups and uh, yeah. someone like AEG splashing the cash to get them to come over here right. uh, could that have anything to do with uh, the crafts owning the Revs as far as participation in this tournament as well?
2: um well i don't know i yeah i don't know how this tournament is being uh is being financed i don't know whether it's a whether it's a guarantee in other words whether we're buying our way into the tournament or whether it's uh something that uh that's reached out as an agreement by the uh by the mexican federation and 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 m l s uh one thing that that people may not realize in this country and i only know this because i've traveled to mexico now uh five times in the last uh two years is the Mexican league is very, very profitable. It's very well-run. It's probably the, the most profitable and well-run league uh, in the Americas. And, uh, you know, it isn't necessarily the best league in the quality of play. Probably that's Argentina or Brazil. But it's certainly the most, uh, the most businesslike and well-run. And so I don't think the Mexican teams are going to do anything uh, that doesn't make money for them or that, de- or that they don't think is going to make money for them. So whether we're having to splash out money to get them to come play or whether they're just saying, look, we're not going to play you in front of 10,000 people, you've got to guarantee there's going to be 20, 30, 40,000 people, Um, you know, I think that's a fair request on their part. They've got a high, you know, they've got high salaries, they've got big squads, they've got, uh, they've got a lot of expenses uh, compared to MLS
1: teams. Yeah. And uh, I'll let you go here. Before I do, could you talk about uh, where people can see your writing?
2: Uh, it's on revnet revnet.com and uh we uh you know try to cover the team uh as well as we can tony Biscaya uh runs it and does wonderful wonderful job and takes uh, fabulous pictures that appear on the website uh and then there are two or three of us that uh, that write and i tend to write to uh, you know sort of opinion columns and, and interview uh interview players and uh and coaches and stuff and uh you know these guys are really interesting to talk to because a lot of them have uh you know, pretty uh, for professional athletes, they have much bigger world view, say, than uh, than the average uh, uh, American football player or basketball player. You know, whoa, Houston just scored again. Uh, so uh, it's very, very interesting to talk to these guys because they've got a lot of uh, they've got a lot of good stuff to say.
1: Well, thanks a lot for joining us today.
2: My pleasure, Sean. And uh, I think we're both uh, we're both really happy.
1: <laughs> That's for sure. It's great to see the Revs going back to another MLS Cup and hopefully this time, that they're not playing Los Angeles, they can get the win. <laughs>
2: there we go. That's good news. Take care.
1: Uh, thanks a lot. That was uh, Jim Dow from com and we'll be joined in a few minutes by uh, Patty Vine of Providence Sports uh, talking about the upcoming MLS Cup. And as Jim said, Houston just scored, so now it's 2-1 to one in Houston's favor in that game. Uh, Houston, of course, being the, the home team. Uh, I, I think the Revs would probably prefer... Uh, Colorado, if not for the strength of the team, where uh, certainly you don't... It's always tough to play against a team in uh, Houston that has a guy like Dwayne DeRosario who can change a game in an instant, and a guy like Brian Ching has been so on fire this season. Uh, there's also the factor that Houston is a lot closer to Dallas than maybe Colorado is, and uh, certainly could be a big group of fans out there. Uh, now you have Patty Vine over the phone. Patty, can you hear me?
0: Yes, I can, Sean.
1: Thanks a lot for joining us today.
0: Well, I am currently watching one of the more exciting games. Uh, Houston is already leading 2-1 to one in the 20th minute. Two goals by Paul Dalglish. Two fabulous goals by Houston. And uh, the first goal, however, by uh, the Rapids on a penalty kick. A handball by Adrian Fadiou of Houston in the second minute of the game caused a penalty kick which Jovan Kirovsky uh, completed so this game is end-to-end stuff it's extremely exciting and we just had the second goal in the 20th minute by the same player paul dalgleish um i'm not betting against dalgleish di rosario and brian ching they look uh incredibly strong and houston i think is going to get a few more goals before this game maybe before this half is over uh if history wins out, Houston has beat uh, Clavijo's side by five to two in Houston. So the Rapids could be in for a long night if this continues. It's, it's been a great game so far.
1: Well, you mentioned Paul the Leash and uh, he's a guy that came to the team really, really close to the end of the season. Uh, are you surprised by the impact that he's had in this game? You know, where you got a guy like Brian Cheng and Dwayne De Rosario that. Uh, Paul is the one who's gotten these goals?
0: Well, he has. he's clipped with De Rosario. De Rosario and Dalgleish have uh, connected on both of these goals. And I was surprised to hear he came from the Hibernian team of the Scottish Premier League only recently, as you said. And he has adjusted, well, you can't get any better than what's going on tonight, uh, at scoring the two goals that could put... Houston uh, into the final.
1: As far as that game, I can't see it here, but is is it a more back-and-forth game, or is uh, Houston a better team? It's
0: totally back-and-forth. Clint Mathis has already been yellow-carded. So has Ricardo Clark. So there's a lot of uh, fight. It's a a fight. It's a battle, and it's end-to-end. Unlike the game we saw, obviously, uh, D.C., had about 20 minutes in the first half where they absolutely had the ball most, most of the time, and, and it looked like Revolution kind of disappeared from the – didn't have any possession. So this is not the case in this game so far, so it's really exciting to watch. Um, just sh- showed a picture of Dominic Kinnear smiling ear to ear. However, prior to that, uh, we saw Clavijo, who did not look too happy.
1: Well, uh, you mentioned that the yellow cards are ready. You think we might uh, see a couple players get suspended and maybe help the Revs out at some time for the final to see some of the star players of these two teams out of it?
0: Oh, definitely. That's what we, can, we better hope for because uh, a, that's a very powerful trio that uh, Houston has up front. That's going to be a difficult game if we have to face uh, that, that, uh, those forwards, I think. Even though our defense was spectacular today, obviously.
1: <laughs> and both sides also have uh, very quality goalkeepers. So, you know, both as, sides. As much as Matt Reese uh, is a great keeper, these two sides, there's not much between them as far as a guy like Pat Onset, who's been all this experience with the Canadian national team, has also won a goalkeeper of the year. And I think we all know how great Joe Cannon has been in the past when uh, he's won goalkeeper of the year as well.
0: So, yes, so... It's not going to be Reese as the standout necessarily, because as you mentioned, both Joe Cannon and Onstad are high up on the list of the best goalkeepers that have come through MLS. Interesting note that was mentioned here is that Fernando Clavijo uh, was bragging before the game that he uh, drafted Taylor Twellman to the New England Revolution when he was the coach of New England Revolution. I'm not sure if you knew that, Sean. I. I may have way back.
1: Well, I think that's something we've seen out of him before, commenting that a lot of the rev success he claims for himself as, you know, he built part of the teams, and, you know, I, th- I think he hasn't really gotten over being let go from the Revs, and I think, you know, that's something that he kind of needs to get over, the fact that, that you know, he, may- he did bring in a couple of the players to the team, but th- this is Steve Nichols' team now and not his.
0: Exactly. Also, it was mentioned that he wants to be a general manager and move into the management position and out of the coaching ranks, which uh, kind of makes sense, where he enjoys choosing top players, and, you know, that might be a good position for him, because he does get the players, but he did not put a winning squad on the field for, for Revolution.
1: Well, it would certainly be interesting to see how he did in that position. We've seen, he's certainly an experienced coach, having coached for, uh, the Revolution, he's coached, I believe, the Haiti ha- 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 National Team, and uh, n- now he's coaching in Colorado, so he's, he's got the experience, and he's certainly made the connections, I would think, from those places, so, you know, who knows what he could do.
0: Exactly, and John Murphy, which, of course, the goalkeeping coach, I believe is now his assistant coach, uh, tonight they've mentioned both him and Murphy, uh, so... Uh, who knows if Clavijo steps down if possibly John Murphy, who used to be the goalkeeping coach at revolution,
1: That's right from Massachusetts.
0: right from Massachusetts could step into the coaching position in Colorado?
1: I think that's something that maybe he's been looking at. I think that's maybe why I left New England and moved on to Columbus, where uh, certainly the coaching situation at the time was something where the coach was under pressure and maybe he had a sh- would have gotten a shot there, but uh, unfortunately he didn't, maybe that's why he moved on to Colorado.
0: He must be looking for the number one post and uh his name has been mentioned a couple of times tonight with along uh with Clavijos, so this game is going to be interesting, as I say. Um, very tough offense in Houston and it's it's been viewed two great goals by Houston and as I say uh the Rapids got a goal in the second minute off a penalty kick by Jovan Kirovsky due to a handball in the area by Andrian Sediu. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Rapids can come back and uh, get a victory here. It's such
1: an important game for the Revs because whoever wins this is going to be facing them in the final. But going back to uh, the game earlier in today, the Revs against D.C., uh, looking over the stats... DC United with six shots on, no, with 18 shots, uh, compared to the Revs who only had six, uh, DC United eight shots on goal. The Revs only won nine corners for DC, one for the Revs. Uh, really the stats would, would show you that the game is, uh, was really dominated by DC.
0: Exactly. And lopsided in that sense. Totally lopsided. However, uh, we got the early goal by Taylor Twelman, uh, who uh, that was an outstanding goal, and we were able to maintain that lead. Somehow, miraculously, uh, Matt Reese and the defense of New England Revolution deserve a ton of credit, we have to say. And I think some good subs were made uh, by Steve Nickel.
1: You also got to give them credit for playing in such a tough situation at uh, RFK Stadium. and uh, Credit goes out to the fans for the atmosphere they bring. To the stadium, it's amazing, you know. Looking there, as compared to some of the other stadiums across the league, uh, I think part of that is because the management allows them to bring in such, you know, all the giant flags, the smoke bombs, you know, everything else that they, you know, get to bring in there. This, the atmosphere there is almost like what you'd expect from, you know, some of the places over in Europe. So I, I think it's a, a great, great to see the revs going and get a win there.
0: Well, it it's amazing actually, having been to the final and. In the stadium in 1999, where the Rapids played D.C. United and, of course, D.C. United won, I, I could not believe the atmosphere. Like you say, the smoke bombs, the flags, the noise level, the fans, that's something we have never seen at New England during any of the Revolution games. It just We don't have that, that uh, atmosphere.
1: Uh, I think that's something that would be, you know, maybe, maybe that's the eventual goal, where, where as far as we've heard, the Revs... Be a little bit of talk about a soccer-specific stadium. I think we've heard, you know, 2010 mentioned by to have something something set in stone by then. But uh, we haven't heard anything on that recently. earlier in the season, that did come up as a topic. So maybe that's something. As far as with Gillette Stadium, they only have you know half of the bottom tier open uh, in a stadium that big. It's kind of hard to create that atmosphere, you know, when when it's not full.
0: That's true. There was there's something about the noise level at RFK Stadium. I I don't know how it's Acoustic-wise, how it happens, but it's very, very loud. And uh, as you say, they let the fans bring in a lot of flags and smoke bombs. and, And it's like they have a very large Hispanic population that follows D.C. United, too, because they've had a history of getting some very strong Salvadoran and Bolivian players. And still do, so especially, you know... Jaime Moreno and Gomez. And so they that they, they create a lot of the atmosphere, the Barra Brava at D.C. And
1: I don't think the players have, you know, helped support that. We saw Christian Gomez, I believe it was last year, uh, had a suspension, was in the stands, actually banging on one of the drums with the supporters group.
0: Which is just great. I don't think a revolution player has ever done that.
1: Certainly, I don't think, I don't think that's happened here, but... Uh, I, I think DC United as far as as I mentioned a lot of credit has to go to the fans for creating such a hostile atmosphere for the opposing teams and you know it's a great it's great to even watch on TV and see the atmosphere at those games
0: which goes back to uh still my uh I'm, I'm stunned that we could pull off uh, thanks to the early goal it has to be said that victory tonight because DC couldn't couldn't get, it, get that goal. Could not reply to that one goal, which is somewhat amazing.
1: Not to mention that the Revs are missing both key players in Clint Dempsey and Steve Ralston.
0: Two key players. And now with Gomez, as we saw, leaving injured. And now uh, that could give Dwayne De Rosario a little bit of an edge, the game he's playing tonight, uh, over Gomez for MVP.
1: Well, I think... Now, uh, as far as with that, I think they ended up doing the voting before uh, the playoffs even started, even though they don't announce it. I've, I believe that's the old system, which is a little ridiculous.
0: It is a little ridiculous. So then this really doesn't have any impact on who the MVP is. So I, I'm going to guess it's going to be Gomez then.
1: And or
0: Cunningham, maybe.
1: And looking ahead again to the MLS Cup final, uh, where if Houston keeps up with their 2-1 lead, it will be the Res against Houston. Uh, do you think the Revs would prefer to play either of these two teams? I know I was talking to Jim's out earlier, and the, the Revs didn't really have a great record against either of these teams in the regular season.
0: It will be a very tough final. Plus, if it's Houston, absolutely we're playing, you know, in Texas. So the Houston fans will far outnumber uh, the Revolution fans, obviously. So that, that can have an impact. Although tonight, <laughs> D.C. had all their fan base there. Um, Either of these teams is going to be tough, but I think that uh, Houston is a much tougher opponent based yeah. on what it
1: Well, there's also the, you mentioned the fan base, but there's also, uh, should it be Houston, you know, Houston is now Dallas' big rival. The game's in Dallas, I would assume. A lot of Dallas fans are going to be there now that Dallas is out of the cup. And I would think that their support would be behind the revs.
0: Oh, behind the revs, yes, that, that's true. So that, would, that could help us in that respect. Uh, it will be a very tough time, final against either team. I think a tougher task against uh, Houston. Would you agree?
1: I, I would definitely agree because you see with Houston, I mentioned earlier, Dwayne De Osario, Look at look at what he's capable of doing. We see every year he has a goal up for a goal of the year candidate. You know, he's a guy that on his own can completely change a game. Uh, he can score from anywhere on the field. Can take anyone on. Beat anyone. And and Brian Ching, they have a pure finisher, a, a guy is with some similar attributes to Taylor Twelman, but uh, also has that added advantage of, you know, his great height. He went to the World Cup for his great form early in the season. Uh, hasn't kept up the amazing, you know, goal to game ratio where he had like eight goals in six games, I believe, to start the, the season. At the beginning of the season, but,
0: it was incredible,
1: exactly. But he's still a deadly finisher. And uh, you you mentioned that Paul Daglish had the two goals today. Uh, those two combined, I, I don't think any team wants to face. You know, I don't think any defense looks forward to facing them.
0: Three, three finishers.
1: And oh.
0: right. so uh, we have, of course, we we have we have a good team. It will be a very tough matchup.
1: I expect for either game it to be a great game. The Revs never made it easy in their Cup Finals. We saw against uh, never the first never. Cup Final they were in was the U.S. Open Cup in two thousand one against Los Angeles, where they had a 1-1 draw, actually leading 1-0 late in the game, and then lost in overtime uh, against Los Angeles. In 2002, in the MLS Cup final, they lost in overtime. Again against Los Angeles last year, they lost in overtime. So, uh, you know, I think they can be happy that they're not playing Los Angeles at least.
0: Exactly. And Steve Nichol does an excellent job getting his team ready for these big matches. We we see that. They, they're totally up for the match. They're totally... Competitive, and the best team will definitely win. It's it's not going to be for lack of preparation, readiness, attitude, etc. On the field.
1: And we talked about depth being an issue, maybe with the Revs in the past, but this year, uh, some of the injuries have forced them to you know play other people, and they've really stepped up. A guy like Jeff Lurontoitz, who we didn't see like any of last year, he was the captain for the reserve team. He stepped up big this year. Uh, Daniel Hernandez uh, was been out injured, and he, he gave the opportunity to step up. Now, now going into this cup final, there's a potential that the Rebs could have a basically healthy squad. Uh, Clint Dempsey, as I mentioned earlier, I think was back in training on Thursday. Uh, I would imagine the odds of him being back for the cup final are good. Steve Ralston was on the bench. I think he was even available to play. Uh, certainly didn't want to play him if they didn't have to, so he's probably going to be available as well. When uh, we saw this 11 the Rebs put out tonight that they... We're clearly capable of beating a great team in D.C. So I think it's great to see that the team will have all these options on the bench, assuming nobody, no, there's no injury crisis in training this week. It would be great to see that the Revs have all these options on the bench coming off uh, in MLS Cup final.
0: We have the depth that we need to, to go up against either of the teams. So um, I do hope Clint Dempsey is healthy. Obviously, he has a big fan base. Coming from Texas, that follows him as well.
1: Hernandez from Texas as well. and team, Fernan- as well. Fa- fans from him. I believe there's even a, a stadium named after him in his hometown. And uh, well, he's would say he's probably the most questionable of the mall as far as injury with him going down today and saying he felt a heard a popping noise in his foot as he went down. So uh, hopefully he'll be back. But I think he's a guy that should he not be back, they do have players capable of making up for that absence.
0: Exactly, and I think I think we're as ready as we and will be as ready as we possibly can be, provided nothing happens to uh, any player, as you said during practice this week. It's uh, it's going to be an excellent final next Sunday.
1: Well, I'll let you go, and before I do, could you talk about uh, Providence Sports Magazine and your writing in it?
0: Yes, Providence Sports Magazine is. Really the only Hispanic sports magazine in, uh, circulating in Rhode Island and has a long circulation of approximately 10 years. It does cover all sports. Urban Torres is from the editor. is from the Dominican Republic and I believe he actually played soccer in the Dominican Republic. So he has a love for all sports and, uh, has kept the magazine going. It, it is free to the, to uh, the public, which he has a lot of sponsors and advertisements in the magazine that make that possible. So his next issue will be coming out on the stands in Providence on Saturday of next week. And, of course, the headline of the Revolution page will be about them making it to the final again this year.
1: And should you mentioned the good coverage they give of the Revs. I know a couple of times this year the Revs have made it onto the cover of the magazine.
0: Yes. Uh, Irvin does love all sports. He's obviously from the Dominican Republic. They do a lot of coverage of baseball, the Paw Sox, the Red Sox. But he gives the Revolution um, a cover at least two or three times a year. So that, that's, that's great.
1: Well, thanks a lot for joining us today.
0: Thank you, Sean. And we will be talking before the final.
1: And keep up the great work for Providence Sports.
0: Thank you very much.
1: And that was a Patty Vine from Providence Sports. We uh, mentioned the the game against Houston. The game Houston against Colorado going on right now with Houston taking the two one lead. Uh, Houston and Colorado both uh, played the Revs twice this season so far. Uh, Colorado playing in Colorado was never an easy place to, place to play and. Uh, the, the Revs haven't had much success against Colorado recently, uh, but at the same time, and as far as a cup final, they're a neutral venue at Colorado doesn't necessarily have the best away record either, uh, away from home. They did get the win away last week against Dallas, but at the same time they were helped by the referee in a correct call, giving a red card and letting Houston be, uh, letting Dallas be down a man, uh, so e- either matchup should be a great game. And now over the phone we have David Yellop joining us. Uh, Dave, can you hear me?
3: Yeah, I can hear you just fine. What a night. Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I I don't think I'll be able to walk for, hour, or for a couple more hours just because the, the last 80 minutes of that game were so draining. Uh, but you gotta got to give them full marks for uh, getting the early goal and then keeping it the rest of the way.
1: Well, they never make it easy on themselves, do they? <laughs>
3: yeah, the, the revs don't do easy. I've learned that. But, oh, what a game. I, I have to say that... Uh, the turning point was, uh, two turning points early. Of course, there was Twelman's goal, and then there was Steve Nickel realizing that the four-four-two, if we kept in the four-four-two, we would have given up three goals in the first half alone, and switching back to the three-five-two that they uh, used to great effect all during the year.
1: I think that also speaks to the team's versatility with a guy like James Riley, just moving him around, to, you know, move Andy Dorn back to the center from the wide spots, and uh, certainly that has to give them confidence going into the final, knowing that they played this game and the last game without two key players today, without Shari... No, they had Shari Joseph, but without Clint Dempsey and Steve Ralston, and uh, last weekend without Shari uh, Joseph and Clint Dempsey.
3: Yeah, and and the thing that surprised me was a stat that they put up in the first half, uh, that the Revs have used 26 different starting lineups th- this year. and that that's, ju- that's just mind-boggling when you think about it, that... Uh, through the injuries, the rest needed, the suspensions. I mean, we have not put the same 11 out there, two straight games since, what, uh, mid, uh, mid-summer at the, at the latest. And uh, it, it, we have a lot of versatile players who can play in different systems, and that, that's that's you, you can't go wrong uh, with flexibility.
1: And I was mentioning that earlier, with all these injuries and suspensions we've had, it's given a lot of players the opportunity to step up a guy like, Jeff Lerontowicz, a guy like Andy Dorman, who, you know, started a few games in the past, but really wasn't an automatic starter for the team. This year he started every single game. And now you have all these guys with this experience going into MLS Cup where a guy like Dempsey is probably going to be healthy, a guy like Steve Rawson is probably going to get back there. They have options off the bench that, you know, in years past, you would have been afraid to see the Revs bring some of the guys on their bench off.
3: Oh, oh yeah! And earlier in the season, we we were saying, you know, looking at the reserve team and saying what what's going on here. But when you think that you know all our good reserves were having to play uh, ninety minutes because of injuries and stuff, it's just uh, amazing, and it's a testament to Steve Nichol. And he he'd talk about turning a season around. He always seems to have the team pointing towards the playoffs uh, when when the, at the end of the year. At the end of each year, no matter how tough the earlier season has been, he's gotten the uh, team focused for the playoffs, and now back to MLS Cup.
1: I think we saw the difference in the two teams tonight with D.C. and the Revs. The Revs were a team that started off slowly and you know got on a great run to, going into the playoffs, as we see just about every year from them, whereas D.C. started strongly and were... After the All Star break, were the worst team in the league record wise. It was another oh, yeah. downer tonight. They, they,
3: if DC had, was able to keep up the first half of the season, they would have had the best season in MLS history. But uh, you see, what kind of happened there is once they got back from the World Cup um break, you know they had their players there and they just couldn't uh, keep them going. You saw a couple players go down with cra- cramps uh in the seventy fifth minute, and, and that's surprising to me that, you know, 75 minutes in, that it, it your, your best players are going down. That says you've mismanaged them somehow.
1: Well, it's also surprising to see them take out Freddie Adu so early, and I think... that That is a
3: just a mind-boggling substitution. Freddie Adu was their best player on the pitch for the first 65 minutes, and then they take him out. You take a big, a big sigh of relief. I mean, he had a a couple great runs that led to crosses. He had two great shots that Matt Reese had to make great saves on from distance, and he pulls them out. It just does not make any sense whatsoever.
1: That especially would hurt them when uh, Christian Gomez went down injured. and sure so then they're missing two of their you know three major offensive threats this year. And Freddie Dew, Christian Gomez, Jaime Moreno. Now you got two of them out, and you need a goal.
3: Yeah, and the rumor is. But That is Freddie's last game with DC United. And I, 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 last year you kind of sided with the coach saying, yeah, he's young. He's got to learn to play in this your system and all that. This year, you got to say, that, okay, does this guy have something against Freddie to do and is not thinks that he doesn't deserve to play for some reason?
1: Well, if you watched him this year, he was, certainly was, played very well in a starting role, so I, I don't think there's any question that he was capable of. You know, staying in that game the way he's been playing this season.
3: Yeah, but every time it seemed like every time I watched D.C. United play, they'd take him out around the 60th minute or 75th minute, as if the, the, Peter Nowak was saying, okay, kid, you're out, let the big boys finish up. You know what I'm saying? And it just boggles my mind how they could possibly have wasted the last year of Freddie do in the D.C. United uniform. But, hey, as a Rouse fan, I love it. I hope uh, he comes back next year and he does the exact same thing.
1: <laughs> and now, uh, we were mentioning earlier the possibility of the Reds playing either Houston or Colorado. Uh, last time we got the update from the game, Houston was winning 2-1. to one. Uh,
3: Yeah, 2-1, and oh, great save there. But I, I, I swear, Joe Cannon is looking like uh, one of those pinatas in Ned where he, he's had to make like four great saves. I prefer Colorado in the Cup just because I don't want to make MLS Cup an away game you know Houston and Dallas yeah there's some parts away but you know there's going to be hopefully a lot of rev sands down there I'm trying to see if I can get my money together to make the trip but I'd prefer to have another not local team down there to play against
1: well thanks a lot what do you for-
3: think the ghost of San Jose would uh, be rooting on the res for what happened to their
1: team well thanks a lot for joining us today
3: hey any t- time
1: I hope to see you down at MLS Cup You bet. Uh, That was David Yallop, a fan of the Revs and also a moderator now on BigSoccer.com. Wrap things up now. As I mentioned, the MLS Cup will take place Sunday next week. Um, Happens to be at 3.30 p.m. Uh, The game will be on ABC. Uh, I'd like to thank Greg Norman for allowing me to come back on the air today. I'd like to thank uh, Dale for running the board for me today. Uh, We'll be on... Dale Abbott for thanking for running the board today. Um, We'll hopefully... uh, We won't be on next week due to the MLS Cup, but uh, check over the offseason at RevolutionRecap.com for some uh, internet-exclusive podcasts. We're hoping to do some interviews on the offseason with maybe uh, some players and coaches of the team and keep keep, uh, interest in the team going as far as updates on the expansion draft after that happens, the Super Drafts. Uh, Thanks for joining us, and thanks for the support this season.